I thought, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I can write a five paragraph essay. I could write a master's thesis, but to write 55,000 words, it just seemed like an elephant that was too big to swallow. And I knew that to do it well in a way that was sustainable, uh, sustainable in my own life to make sure that I was having a meaningful life outside of my writing and also sustainable if I wanted to do this again. You know, if I didn't want to end at the finish line so exhausted that I said, no more, this was it. Uh, I knew I needed some guidance. And so I reached out to you. I'm Ann Croker, writing coach. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. If you're a regular, welcome back. I'm sharing my best tips and training skills and strategies to coach writers to improve their craft, pursue publishing, and achieve their writing goals. This is episode 242. Find your book midwife, say yes before you're ready, pitch to build platform, and authentically engage with readers. This is an interview with author Clarissa Mall. Clarissa is an author and podcaster and the young widow of author Rob Mall. Clarissa's writing has appeared in Christianity Today, The Gospel Coalition, Relevant, Modern Loss, Grief Digest, and more. Her debut book, Beyond the Darkness, A Gentle Guide for Living with Grief and Thriving After Loss, is forthcoming from Tyndale in 2022. Clarissa co-hosts Christianity Today's Surprised by Grief podcast and hosts the weekly Hope Writers podcast, The Writerly Life. She lives a joyful life with her four children and rescue pup and proudly calls both New England and the Pacific Northwest home. I can't wait for you to get to know Clarissa better and be inspired by her story and her advice. I have Clarissa Mall on the show today, and I am so excited for you to get to know her better. Clarissa, hi. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Anne. Well, I thought what might be interesting for people to uh, experience this is sort of starting with where you are and then backtracking and telling the story of what brought you to where you are. Because I think your publishing journey, your writing journey is so entwined with your personal story that people are going to be just hanging on the edge of their seats because there's so much going on there. So let's start at where you are and then we'll flash back and follow that path up to where we are today. Yeah, well, three years ago, I would not have said that I was going to be a full-time writer, but I can say that now. I am Clarissa Mall. I'm a full-time writer. And I just hit send on uh, my 10th article to be published this year. My goal was to hit 12 published articles in 2021, and I'm on target for that. I published 13 last year, and I have also just wrapped up the developmental edits on my first book, Beyond the Darkness, A Gentle Guide for Walking with Grief and Thriving After Loss. And I'm excited about that. That launches in the summer of 2022 from Tyndale. So I've got that coming. Actually, it doesn't feel like it's coming anymore. It feels like it's here because we're talking uh, book design and, you know, Amazon copy and all that kind of fun stuff. It's it's all of the icing and the decoration on the cake. So that's a lot of fun to do. I also host two podcasts. I am the co-host of Christianity Today's Surprised by Grief podcast, a podcast for grievers by grievers. I am also the uh, weekly podcast host for The Writerly Life, which is produced by Hope Writers, an online writers community of which I am a part. And it's a good life. It's a busy life with some speaking starting to open up now that the pandemic is, well, now that folks are adjusting to life in pandemic mode, 
and doing a little bit of filming for curriculum. So it's a lot of different pieces and it makes for a really fun life. People will be able to tell from your topic a little bit about, make some assumptions about your story, but I have been so fascinated by how just the the opportunities opening up for you. So thank you for that summary. And I hope people do go check out these podcasts and hear you. You have incredible communication skills. I know that's part of your story as well in terms of your experience, but then you bring that now to serve writers and grieving people. It's a beautiful thing what has come from your life. But now to help people get an idea, not only of your personal journey, but maybe hints of what they might learn from your experience to see, is there anything transferable in their life to how they might find themselves along a similar publishing path, not personal? Can you go back and fill in some gaps so that we can hear more about you and your journey? Definitely. Yeah. Three years ago, I was a homeschooling mom. I was working part-time in contract work for communications and marketing for small nonprofits. I had been a teacher of public speaking at a local college. I had moonlighted doing some marketing for a fair trade organization. I had done little bits and pieces in between the the care and keeping of my children and raising them and, and being their primary teacher as a homeschooling mom. And But then my husband died in a hiking accident in 2019. He was an author and a journalist. He was in corporate communications at the time, and my life was ground to a halt. It entirely changed the landscape of our lives, and it really changed my career prospects as well. Suddenly, I went from being a homeschool mom with, you know, work as, as the icing on my cake to wondering how I was going to provide for my family, what what career path I could choose that would balance the hard story that I was living and also that real need to generate some income, to make a dollar, to feel some sense of security in a career. And so what I did was just turn to what I knew. I turned to writing again. And and this time I said, you know what, I, I think I'm going to rely on some corporate clients for a little bit of the writing that was familiar, but I'm going to step into something new and talk about grief because what I found as a young widow was that there weren't a lot of resources for women who were my age, for people who had lost a loved one uh, really before retirement age. And so I saw, hey, you know what? There's a gap here. And writers are always looking for those gaps, aren't they? They're always looking for where they can find a niche uh, to speak a story that will resonate with an audience. And I discovered this and I thought, hey, let's give it a go. So I began writing, um, just reaching out to some uh, friends who were in the publishing industry, friends who, you know, I had sat around the table with as my husband was a writer and we'd have dinner together. And, you know, I was just the wife of the writer. I wasn't the person who was the star of the show in a way, but I reached out to them and, and asked for counsel, asked for some guidance. I hired a coach and I began taking those baby steps to create what I believed could be a career if I worked hard enough for it. It's so unfortunate, though, that the gap that you're filling has to emerge from your personal story. But at the same time, you are, as you heal, bringing that message to others. If, is there any 
a new thought or different thought that you had at the time, like, oh, I could write this other kind of book, or I only want to stick with corporate communications, or did this book, because of your story, become the thing that you wanted to do that became obvious, the topic of grief? Well, that's a great question. After Rob died, I actually went back to school. I got my graduate certificate in nonprofit management because I thought, you know, I've been writing a lot in that space. I've been doing all of these different pieces. Maybe I should just go into executive kind of communications. And I thought, well, this uh, degree will help to boost my skills and make me marketable. But during the process of that, I realized this isn't where my heart is anymore. Certainly, I I'm a compassionate person. I like to think of myself as a compassionate person and humanitarian issues are definitely uh, at the forefront of my concerns. But I found that that the things I needed were closer to home. And so as I thought about creating, I didn't even think about writing a book at first. I thought about just being published. I thought, well, this is the path you have to take. You have to first dip your toe into the shallow end, and then you jump into the deep end. I had a very strongly a preconceived notion of how the publishing uh, journey was supposed to look. And I've come to realize that's not how it works at all. It can be very topsy-turvy and backwards. But I'm an analytical person. And for me, starting with my own story and starting small was the way to go. And you already had an insider peek at things through Rob's work as an author. So you probably came with those, that story or that what you had observed and that may have informed what you thought your journey would be like, but then maybe it's looked a little different than what that was, it sounds like. Yes. And you know, I, I'm grateful for that. I came in knowing that writers don't make a lot of money. I mean, that was uh, really helpful to know at the beginning. You know, you if you're a writer and you tell somebody that you're working on a book, they suddenly think you're Stephen King. You know? And and I knew right at the beginning that, you know, a lot of authors struggle to make back their advance or they have to piece together a lot of unglamorous work to do the real passion project that they want to do. And and because I knew that I didn't have any grand and glorious ideas about what this would look like. I knew it would be hard, but I also knew that if it was something I believed in, I could get excited about it and push through the hard to keep going to achieve the things I wanted to. I'm so glad you did. And you've got this incredible resource coming out in 2022. And I just think that your path is one that truly shows your compassion and care for people. And now in this very specific way that includes your story. So I'm excited that you chose that for your future readers and the current people that you're engaging with as well. Now your life and mine intersected, as you mentioned, you hired a coach. Can you tell me a little bit about what prompted you to even do that? What, what came through your head that made you think, I, I really need to talk to somebody, I need to talk to a coach? Yeah. Well, I had taught developmental writing at the college level. I had taught public speaking. So I figured I knew how to structure an argument. I knew how to structure a good paper, at least a five paragraph essay. But as folks in my life kept saying to me, you know, you should write a book. It's along the way. And so I found in you and my book midwife. <laughs> You're the person who helped me to make that journey from just a nebulous kind of idea to something that's really concrete and, and exciting. What a great analogy. I love it. And I love being along for this whole process. Well, I've been only a 
a step along the way. And I think that's something interesting about writing coaching is that you don't always, it's not always a long-term relationship where you're walking all the way through. Sometimes we walk someone just from here to there is really what happened with you. And probably the point at which you no longer needed a coach was when you acquired an agent and you signed with an agent. But I'm curious, and I don't want it to be all about coaching, but I am curious, what would you say was the biggest takeaway that you were like, this really helps, this changed the way I think about my book or my writing life working with me? Well, I think that the clarity that you offered me was the thing that I, I continually return to. And, you know, we think about clarity uh, as writers as having an aha moment. But really what you taught me was that clarity comes from the little steps along the way. One of the exercises that I have gone back to time and time again that we did together you encouraged me to write a, t a list of 10 things. And when I had, uh, if I struggled with making my list of 10, I had to write another 10. And, you know, when you were out of ideas, just force yourself to put pen to paper. And that's where clarity is born. It's not born in the writer's retreat over a long weekend, you know, at a cabin by the lake. It's born out of those very ordinary, disciplined kind of practices that that I feel like you taught me, even though I knew the kind of structure for writing, I, I honestly, I didn't have that kind of discipline. And to go at the long haul, you have to be disciplined. So it's such a practical tip. I got it from James Altucher and passed it along to you so that you could apply it, but I've passed it along to others and I do it myself. And I think you are so so wise in saying that we all, I mean, just, I guess you're, it's circular here. <laughs> I shared it with you. You're sharing it with our listeners today, but these small habits, and you talk about this on the writerly podcast too, it comes down to the daily discipline or at least the, the regular habit. And it's not always just 500 words. It could be something that breaks us free, plays with our, the way our mind works. And that's where I felt like the lists work really well for you. Like yeah. when, when stuck, make a list. That's right. Yeah. Well, tell our listeners what happened after that, or just like a little bit more about that journey. Cause I think right now what they're seeing is out of your loss, you had to quickly make some adjustments to your life. And you had this path into exploring what that could look like corporate clients. You had the communications background, and then you begin to see, you want to pursue a more meaningful message through a book. Now you hire a coach. Let's move on from there in your journey, if you don't mind it. Anything yeah. that kind of comes along the way, tips that you might have for our listeners. Well, you know, when I connected with you, I knew that I wanted to write a book and I didn't know how to even start. And a large part of our time together, I think it was exclusively when it comes down to it. You know, when I think about that period of time we spent together was developing the book proposal. And I was particularly grateful for the way that you helped me craft the content. You know, there is. I have, I'll be honest, a suspicion of coaching. It seems like everybody can be a coach these days. And so what does the coach actually offer me? And I had an inkling that a coach was sort of like a middleman, that if you wanted to, you could really just facilitate this whole thing yourself. But what I realized through our relationship was that you knew so many things that I didn't yet know about the writing process, about the industry. It was indispensable in guiding me into creating a book proposal that would actually make sense to the person I was talking to. In many ways, you translated 
the thoughts I had into industry language. And that was really helpful for me because when I ended up sending my book proposal to an agent for consideration, he took a look and said, yes, yes, we want you. And sent it back with only cursory kind of edits, which I feel like is a testimony to the kind of uh, preparation that we did together, the clarity that you brought to my writing, but also the knowledge and experience that you brought to the writing life that, that as a newbie, I just didn't have, even though I had had 10 years of watching my husband from the sidelines and cheering him on, just little bits of information that were so helpful and indispensable for me in creating that proposal. After the proposal was done, now you say that our time ended when I got my agent, but I will say in recent days, as I've wrapped up this first manuscript, I've been feeling the need for a coach even more again. I'm not new. I should feel like I know this landscape really well, but I find that in each part of this journey, I'm discovering new areas for growth, new uh, opportunities for me to say, hey, you know, I could really sit down and hash this out with somebody, whether it's how to uh, really catch my reader's attention at the beginning of a piece. You know, I feel like that's getting a little rusty. How can I, how can I really hone in on grabbing someone's attention? What about storytelling? How can I make my stories more vibrant? I feel like they're falling flat because I've been doing this a while. It's one of the dangers of being a full-time writer that you do this all day, every day, and your stuff can get stale. So even though you were instrumental to me at the beginning part of my journey, I would say I need a friend like you through my whole writing life. I love that. And it's, you know, times of transition when you're moving on to this new project, that's a great place to bring in an objective eye, whether it's a coach or a mentor or a writing group or a signing up for a class and getting instruction from a, a professional. But yeah, that's really fun. And I look forward to having those conversations with you. But I think that's part of it. It's like, can, can I get an objective professional input that helps me get ready and fast track me for what's next? And that's where something like a coach can be invaluable, whether it's me or somebody else. And then the book proposal, I want to remind people that it's not just like I didn't create that proposal. No, you had to do the work. And in that sense, it's a lot like any coach of any athlete. The the coach doesn't run the hundred meter dash. The runner has to do the running. And in the same way, the writer has to do the writing. The coach might provide some editorial input and some suggestions. Might review the content. But in the end, it's the writer who does the work. Because writer has to do the work. The writer has to talk about the project and pitch the project to people. And whether that's in written form in the proposal or face-to-face in a one-on-one, whether that's online or in person. So you did all the work. You did it all. (laughs) Well, that's where I love your, I I love your analogy of running though, because, you know, your audience uh, is fair weather sometimes. Your cheerleaders are fair weather. You know, you have the folks who will think that everything you write is beautiful and they're great, but, you know, they don't offer helpful critique. And uh, you've got folks who you just can never seem to please. They always talk about the thing you didn't mention in your blog post or in your article, and you're never going to satisfy those either. And so that's where uh, as someone who is a writer themselves, another companion on that journey, someone who's going to cheer you on from the sidelines is so valuable because they have both the knowledge 
to give you helpful critique and also the wealth of wisdom to offer you the encouragement that you really need to stay the course and and to keep going when you feel discouraged. And you just said a phrase, the staying the course reminds me I probably shouldn't have used the 100 meter dash as <laughs> something about the writing life because it's a lot more like a marathon. And have you found that to be true too? Like it, I need to have a long range thing long-term Yes. Yeah. And that there need to be moments for rest too. Mm -hmm. uh, you can feel as a writer that you've got to keep producing, uh, you know, in, in academia, it's publish or perish. You know, you've got to keep going, keep cranking something out all the time, or you're no longer a writer. But uh, wise writers, I think, uh, take periods of rest too. They realize it is a marathon and you can't be going at a full sprint all the time. So since I finished the edits on my book, I've been taking a rest. I'm not writing as much as I have been lately. I'm doing other projects. I'm doing some more speaking. I'm doing the podcasting, trying to mix it up a little bit because I know that my writing juices that I need to get filled up again. And, and my writing can become stale if I just keep pushing, pushing, pushing all the time. That's a great principle, the rest principle that would be true with athletics as well, that uh, we push our muscles, but they need rest to repair. And I, I love that also the idea of the input. We need that input to fill the tank, to be able to pour out again. I think a lot of publishing is like, hurry up, hurry up, get all these things done. Oh, now we have to wait for a long stretch of time. Okay, time for the launch. Now it's nonstop activity for two months. And now, okay, now <laughs> we'll do something else. So that's that as well. But I am curious about something, and that is that to land a publishing contract, which you did just boom, like pitch, you're in. Generally speaking, people need to have some sort of what we call a platform. And so if somebody's, you know, tuning in here and they're thinking, what's well, a platform? That's just all the ways that you reach and retain readers. So it's not just social media. Some people think it's limited to that, but it's all the ways. That's why you're doing speaking engagements. That's one more platform building exercise or outlet. It's a way for you to connect with people, serve them, pour into them with things related to your topic or your author brand, as we sometimes talk about in your platform matters. It's the membership community. So we talk a lot about author brand or writing brand or your personal brand. And so you want to do activities related to that so that you're reaching more and more people. Where were you at when you pitched this book? Because you had to have had some sort of platform to hear a yes. Tell me about that. Like, how did you get to wherever you were when you pitched? And then what was that whole process of conversations related to platform? And then where are you headed? Well, I think I probably had maybe about a thousand followers on Instagram and about 300 people on my email list when I pitched my book proposal. But I told my publisher that I was committed to being engaged with my audience. But that said, uh, I was married to a man who published books before social media was the gauge for what a platform should look like. And so I have kind of an old school attitude toward platform building. It's not... I'm going to call it vintage because I like that better than old school. Uh, but, you know, when when Rob published both of his books, he engaged with readers. That's what he did. And it wasn't through social media. It was to speak. It was through radio and other kinds of interviews. He emailed people. It was very, it had an intimacy that I think a lot of social media lacks today. And so even though I am building my social media platform as best I can, I joined a challenge group for the year to work on that. 
and I regularly engage with my email list, I've determined that an engaged audience is better always than a big audience. And so for me, the commitment has been not so much about numbers, but about engagement. So for example, when uh, I send out my email, uh, my monthly email to folks, I write back to every single person who replies to me. I've committed to that. I write to every single person who sends me a direct message on Instagram. I've committed to that because I think it's important for people, particularly in the space in which I write, to know that they're not alone, to know that someone has read what they've written and cared about their words and wants to respond to them. So, you know, who's to say that if I had a gigantic following, I wouldn't be able to do that anymore. But I'm grateful for the small enough following that I have to be able to relate intimately to my readers and listeners, because uh, I think that's where the beautiful, that's where the beauty happens. I was, I worked in theater before I ever was a writer and the live audience was exciting. There was the, the clapping, the laughter, you know, it would just, there was an energy in that room. And when you're writing, it's kind of a solitary practice. You're all alone in your office writing, hoping as you send your words out into the world that it makes a difference to anybody. And, and I think by committing to that kind of regular engagement with people, you get some of that energy that I used to feel on stage. And, and that's where the real magic and beauty happens in writing. Yeah. And for all that we don't like about social media and all of its shortcomings, there is that more closer to an immediate feedback that I really appreciate. I was blogging when it was really just starting to become something. And there was a lot more vibrancy. What's happening now in social media was happening in the comments section of people's posts. But I still always kind of felt like I was writing a message on a piece of paper, rolling it up and sticking it in a bottle. And then just throwing it out in the ocean and helping people find it, which was really all we had access to because there wasn't a way to, to, to present a little link to it on social media because social media was just barely beginning back then. So this is a new opportunity where everything can kind of enhance something else. But your commitment to intimacy and real interactions, that's my heartbeat too when it comes to platform. Like I think it's just an unfortunate label we've given it because platforms sound so much like I'm going to stand on a stage and give a presentation and be in, in front of everybody versus I am going to connect with people in a meaningful way. Sometimes one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes one-on-many, but in the end, I'm here to serve people, show up for them, connect with them, and and hopefully bring some sort of meaning into their life. So I love that you have made that commitment to people in a vulnerable, aching kind of place in their life, moment in their life, phase of their life. Well, I mean, grief is from that point forward. And your commitment to meet people there is exactly what I would, would want if I were in that place, somebody like you to come alongside me. That's really beautiful. So, okay. So now you, you know, you've got your book proposal landing with an agent. You've, your book is coming out. You're looking ahead and you've got these new opportunities. How did those happen? Some of the things that happened in between. How did you land these podcasting gigs and all of this? Tell me about that phase or that aspect of your work. Well, the beautiful thing is that once you uh, get your words out into the world, people read them. <laughs> I mean, it, the bottle exciting. gets pulled out of the ocean. <laughs> wow. I love that. And as people would reach out, I would say yes, as much as I hadn't bandwidth for. 
I think when you're a new writer, you say yes all the time. And back in my acting days, I had an audition and the acting professor said, could you do an Irish accent for this audition? I said, oh, I don't know how to do that. I'm sorry. And, you know, nothing ever came of it. And a couple of weeks later, he came to me and he said, you know, I wanted to give you that role, but you said you couldn't do it. Next time, say, I'll learn how. And that kind of perspective has been really helpful for me as I have said yes to things that are really beyond whatever I have done before. Had I podcasted before? No. Uh, but when someone invited me to do the Christianity Today podcast, I said, I'll learn how. I'll get the equipment. I'll learn how to do the technology. I will do it. And that kind of spirit, I think, is something that opens a lot of doors. And your writing is that first place that where you put your words out into the world. People see that you're legitimate, that you're a voice to be trusted. And they start to ask you to do other things. And as much as you're able, it's exciting to be able to say yes. And it starts this whole cycle of, I, I said yes, I took a risk, I was seen by somebody, and then I was offered another opportunity. And I said yes, but I'd never done it before. And this cycle continues and it grows and it expands your reach, but you have to actually do something. I really love the story of saying, well, I, I'll learn how, or even just say yes, and then go figure out how. And I think right now in the history of mankind, what better time? Because it's literally our fingertips away to learn how. There's YouTube videos, there's articles, there's tutorials, there's courses, both free and paid, where we can learn these things. So it's a great time to say yes, and then figure it out. And, and you are here at Living Proof now, not just a guest on podcasts, although I'm sure you're actively looking for those opportunities, but now you're the host of two that's amazing. <laughs> You're living the dream. Well, I think it's that agility, the ability to try new things and, and the excitement that goes along with it that makes your writing life exciting. You know, when you feel stale, when you don't have a lot of ideas, try something new. Maybe it's writing in a different genre, or for me, it has been doing more speaking it has enlivened me. Sometimes I get off of a podcast recording and I say, you know, I've got an article idea. I need to go jot those notes down. And it's something I never would have, it wouldn't have come to me if I had just sat and pondered for a while. I needed to be doing something different that was, that was adjacent to my writing life to be able to get a new idea. That's really neat. You're actually mining some of the other opportunities that were a may have felt like they stretched you beyond your comfort zone. That's right. And that's that growth mindset that we hear so much about, but I think that there's a lot to it. If we have the limited mindset where like, oh, I don't know, I've never done that. I don't know how, probably it's not my thing. But if you've never tried, if you have a little bit of a playful or experimental mindset, then that kind of allows you some sort of breathing space and some openness to try new things. And you're living that out so well. And your advice is so sound to be able to encourage people to say, you know what, I haven't done it, but I'll try. That's right. So now when you look ahead, what do you see? Well, I know you mentioned that you're like, I got new projects. Maybe I need to talk to a coach. But like when you look ahead, where do you see yourself going? Do you see a tra trajectory? I can't say a trajectory. Well, I think when authors publish their first book, there's some exhaustion that comes after that of, oh, the baby's born. All right, let's just have a little honeymoon, you know, baby moon period. But it's, it, you quickly can 
worry about becoming obsolete. And I think it's because so many books are published all the time. There are so many words out in the world already. You've put your words out and you don't feel like maybe have any left. And I've certainly felt that way. You know, whatever would I have to say next? I have just said all the words I could ever say. And that's where I think the rest period has been really helpful for me since finishing my manuscript to say, okay, let's dream big and dream differently and see what comes of that. When I think about writing, I told my agent early on, I want to do this for the long haul. I want to do what it takes to keep doing this because whether or not writing becomes the source of income that I hope for over, you know, 10, 20 years from now, I enjoy the process. I enjoy engaging with readers and I'd like to do it just for that, for the pleasure of doing that. And so if you're going to do it for the long haul, it means taking some time to rest, but also taking some time to think outside the box. And so I've been trying to think about what other things I could do that relate to my writing life. Should I build speaking more? Should I be expanding podcasting? Should I try to do some sort of retreat where I can be writing new materials that are actually more interactive, maybe group resources, trying to think beyond just book writing? And that's exciting for me because honestly, I hadn't thought about those things before. I had just been thinking about this book baby and getting it born. And now as I enter into this new stage, trying to think about how writing can be sustainable for me in the long haul, I'm thinking about diversifying in more ways than I ever did before. I also hesitate because I know that there's some pressure to once you publish a book to sort of build your writing empire and, you know, oh, it's time to start a course or it's time to start this or that or the other thing. And I think that's where I always check with my heart. I, is that where your heart is? Does, does it seem like, do you need to write a new lead magnet because you know that this is what drives traffic and you feel the pressure to perform or to keep doing something? Or is it really that you feel like you have something valuable to share? And so for in that space, checking my heart is a really good practice to say, am I trying to build an empire here or am I still doing the thing that I love and am I reaching people with words that matter? And when I do that, I find that I can take a break to rest without feeling any guilt. And I can try a new project without worrying that it'll fail because I'm excited to serve my reader in new ways. What is the backbone of your platform? What do you do and main, keep doing and do more of that's the same? Because you talked a lot about doing new things, but what, do you, what is your, your core? I pitch and write articles and I love to do it. I have a list on my phone where I keep article ideas and I usually get like an idea. And then if I start to get bullet points underneath it, a lot of times when I'm driving, I'll have my daughter like, hey, can you pull out my phone? I've got some ideas. And once I start to see stuff kind of globbing together around an idea, I think, oh, okay, it's time to pitch that. And I pitch it because that makes me have to write it if they say yes. And I like that external commitment that there's a little bit of pressure there. And as soon as I have committed to writing it, I start trying to get the idea for the next one because I want to keep the momentum going. Wow. So you do this while writing other projects like books or other things. Do you ever find yourself like, oh, I'm spread too thin? 
Um, no, I haven't yet, but I think it's because I know pretty well my bandwidth. I'm a solo mom. I have to make space for my kids. I have to make space for grief because even two and a half, almost two and a half years in, sometimes stuff comes up and I have a really tough day and I've got to make space for that. So because I've learned to create margin in my life through the difficulty that I have endured, I think it has overflowed into some really healthy margins in my work life too, where I'm able to say, you know what, I can't take another article without pay this month. I, you know, a pro bono project, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Or I have to wait on responding to, to these edits until next week because my daughter has a volleyball game and I'm committed to being there. So those kind of just normal kind of everyday life practices, I think have been elemental in helping me build a writing life that doesn't break me in the end. If I can just camp out here for just a second on the yeah. pitching and submitting articles, what do you say would be the biggest benefits? I'll say plural, assuming there's sometimes pay. Mm -hmm. And I would assume you get in front of those audiences. Credibility, visibility, like, and then maybe like signups. Do you see uh, people signing up to be a part of your newsletter or to visit your website? Tell me all that you have gained and why it's become your, your core. Definitely. Well, credibility is one of them. I am always looking to publish in new credible places that I haven't published before. You've all been to, listeners have been to websites where you see as seen on and then a list, you know, it, it, the Today Show and, you know, this, this and this. And I think about my, in terms of credibility, I think about that list too in my head. Okay, where has my name appeared and where does it need to appear so that I can feel like my presence as a published writer reflects who I really am. So I work on credibility as well, but there's also an energy with, with audiences when you're publishing regularly. I do get a lot of new signups to my email list. I mean, it's amazing how it happens. I can tell, you know, the day that a, an article is published online, I might get 50 new email signups that day. And, you know, will those people stick around? I don't know. But if they don't stick around, I guess they weren't my people. That's okay. And and if they do, wow, I've just made some great connections. Some folks who are going to be invested in flourishing and crafting their own new story. And and I'm excited about that. So there is, yeah, there's growth that happens. There's credibility that happens. There's also just the excitement of the turnover that happens. I think when you're working on a long project, and that's why I like to publish short things while I'm also working on book writing, because a long chapter feels like a very long chapter when you've been working on it a long time. And it's exciting to write 1,200 words and send it off into the world and be able to say, I'm done, and get a little instant gratification from seeing it published. I 100% agree with that and advise that to anybody who's a writer your brain needs some closure and just a little sense of celebration. And just like that completeness, you get the, whatever it is, a dopamine hit or whatever, just to feel like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, and I also trained your brain to say, oh, I can finish things. <clears throat> and I think the book is such a long process that you need to hit, at least break it down into little 
highlights or milestones, like, oh, I, I wrote that part of that chapter or later, you know, I finished that chapter. Yay, that's like finishing an article. But when you ship an article, it does complete a process and give you a sense of gratification and then get you in front of people. Yeah. A, rem a reminder that too, the process from signing a contract to the point at which your book is released is such a long stretch mm -hmm. that that's why I really like how your viewing platform, it's the same as I view it myself and how I share with other writers is that you're basically serving your future book readers now by getting information and ideas in front of them. And what you're telling me now is that you would do it through guest posts and published articles. And then you still have your own social media outlets. That's another way you can serve your existing audience. So there's the reaching readers, reaching new people, but then also serving your existing readers. Yes. And you do that through social and then you do it through your newsletter. And then do you have, you have actively been producing blog posts too, right? Well, I blogged through my first year of grief and I determined after that, you know what? I'm going to set that to be its own thing. So it lives on my website as my first year of grief, because I think there are a lot of people who need to know that kind of immediacy, the immediacy of that story. So I find that folks will come every so often and say, I just read through your whole blog uh, wow. because I needed to know what was going on in my own life and you just put it on the page. And so I determined uh, after my first year of grief that I would just leave that as it was. So I don't blog on my website regularly. It's more like uh, a calling card now nice. uh, where I keep a list of all of the publications that I do, the speaking engagements that I do, ways for people to connect. And I'd love to, one of the things that I'm hoping talking about new projects is to build that resource library that a lot of folks have on their websites to be able to have some things that I can really offer to people when I'm not writing a book. That's a great idea. I would sign up for it, especially because you serve not only grieving people, but also writers. You just do so many interesting things. And speaking of serving writers, because you talk to so many people related to the writing life on, in the writerly life, I'm wondering if you have any, any pieces of advice. I know you've already been dripping that out throughout our conversation, but do you feel like there's any other piece that you haven't touched on yet that you'd like to leave people with during our conversation here as we move toward closing it out? I think that, hmm, oh, there are so many different things. I think that keeping going when in life feels hard is really hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to keep writing, to keep thinking that writing is something essential in your life when life gets hard. And life getting hard could be anything from pandemic stressors to job difficulties. You know, for me, it was losing a loved one, but, but it doesn't have to be that kind of loss for life to feel hard and for writing to feel expendable. And so I think if I were to say anything to, to a writer, I would say, keep writing, even if it's just a little bit, a couple of sentences in a, an Instagram post counts as writing, jotting notes while you're waiting for your kids to be picked up in the school pickup line, that counts as writing. Uh, there are so many things that can count as writing. A really beautiful letter written to a loved one, that counts as writing. It's amazing how, you know, I keep letters that a friend of mine sends to me because they're beautifully written. And I know that those words were intended for me. That's an art too. That is writing. When life feels hard, writing doesn't have to be expendable. And 
I have lived that in my own life. And through talking with lots of folks, you know, maybe someday your story will be, your hard story will be a place where uh, your writing is birthed, where you'll have something to produce out of that. But even if that doesn't end up being the case for you, writing can still be a really valuable part of your life, no matter what you're going through. I cannot add to that. Such great advice. Thank you so much, Clarissa, for coming on this show, for speaking to writers who are on their own journeys and probably have moments where they're thinking, can I take a rest? Do I have anything more to say? And can I keep writing? And I think you just gave them many, many ways that they can go about that. Thank you. How can people get to know you better? How can they find some of the resources when you get that resource page up? Tell people how they can connect with you. Well, my happy place on social media is Instagram. So you can find me at Mall Clarissa. It's Mall like doll, M-O-L-L, Clarissa. And uh, visit me at my website, clarissamall.com. If you, especially if you are a grieving person or you have someone in your life that you're walking with through a difficult time, sign up for that email that I send out monthly. It's full of encouragement. It's writing that I don't put anywhere else. So I committed to that early on that my email writing, that newsletter is going to be exclusive just for the folks who sign up for it. So you'll get some encouragement in your inbox, a way to walk beside somebody in your life who's struggling. And I'd like to walk beside you too. Beautiful. Thank you again for being here. Thank you. I'm so glad you had this chance to get to know Clarissa, and I hope that you are inspired to try some new things in your writing life. Maybe it's time to say yes before you're ready, or even to use lists as a way to get those ideas out. And I hope that you, like Clarissa, find ways to authentically engage with your community. Speaking of which, I mentioned in this episode, your platform matters. We sometimes shorten it to YPM. It's a membership community I host with a warm group of writers committed to creative methods of reaching readers in meaningful ways. For just $12 a month, you could jump in and join the conversation. Plus, you access trainings like how to pitch and submit your writing, an intro to SEO for writers, as well as two live group coaching calls with yours truly every single month. This could be what you're looking for to establish and expand your writing platform in the new year. Join us. Learn more at annecroker.com slash your platform matters. And I'm Ann Croker. Thank you for listening.